Well, let's uh, go to our study as we finish what we started last week in Romans 15. If you haven't turned there, please do so. That is, uh, if you're uh, visiting us, this is our custom. We go through uh, sometimes uh, verse by verse, section by section, sometimes word by word, um, and we're looking at what God is teaching us. This morning, we want to continue to talk about the importance of gospel living with believers in the body of Christ. Becoming a family and maintaining that family relationship as we see things happening in our world, in our culture, in other cultures around the world. Um, There's a lot more problems that we are uh, having to face day in and day out. And therefore, before we go back to our study in Ecclesiastes that that we ended at the beginning of the summer and looked at the life of Christ... Uh, we will be going back and finishing Ecclesiastes, but I wanted to take the time to get out ahead of some problems that uh, we could be facing as a church. And, um, and it's not necessarily that we have this problem in the church right now, but it, these are things that are fast approaching and could become more and more issues that we face and we might be asking a question, how do we deal with these issues? So we'll bring up some of those issues and we'll seek to answer those things. Before we do, let's ask God to bless the reading, uh, and, uh, the reading of his word and ask him to faithfully teach us as we look at Romans 15, verses 1 through 13. Lord, uh, simply put, Lord, we are fallible you are infallible. Your word is truth. Uh, Lord, the things that we desire and the things that we face every single day um, aren't necessarily truth. But Lord, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. And Jesus, we thank you that you became obedient, even death on the cross, you became obedient. You, you honored your Father in heaven, our Father, Lord, our Lord, our Master. Lord, we thank you for what you did when you gave us that gift of salvation, that you sent your Son to do that in our place. Lord, we pray that as we read your word, uh, these words of life, these words of truth that would give us answers for the day in which we find ourselves, that every day we're finding more and more, what about this and how do we deal with these issues? Lord, I pray that some of these timely truths that you spoke thousands of years ago would impact us as we hear today from you. Help me to be um, as clear as I am able and translate the rest for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans 15, verses uh, 1 through 13, and I'm still getting used to wearing glasses, so you'll have to... uh, It it is necessary. I'm finding out. I've been struggling with reading, and I've found out why. This is... I'm in that go-between period where I can get away with not wearing them, but um, I definitely do better with them. So uh, you'll have to bear with me as I get used to this. Verse 1, it says, 
We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those he reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I love hearing all the, the use of hope. Did you notice that? All the uses of the term hope. We have great hope throughout all the scripture. What's interesting, if you look at verses 8 through 13, you'll see all of these quotes. We have quotes from 2 Samuel. We have, we have quotes, uh, and in fact, in, in uh, verse 3, we have a quote from Psalm, uh, Psalm 69. We have, and we'll look at that today. We have, we have quotes of Isaiah. We have We have quotes actually in every form of the Old Testament. We have a quote from the law. We have the quote from the history. We have the quote from the prophets. You know, what's interesting is is that God used a quote from every form of the Old Testament, the scripture known to this point. And the point was that all our hope, all our instruction, all that we have in Christ was found in all of the Old Testament, not just part of it. Sometimes we just read, you know, the, we just read the history portion of the Old Testament. We don't like reading the law. Well, it's amazing how much of the law or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy, we find Christ everywhere in it. Many pictures. But we just don't understand it. And it's, it's great as we study it to see all of those wonderful things. But we have great hope in the scriptures. And then in verse 13, we see that we have great hope through the Holy Spirit. By the way, so which do we find our hope in? 
Do we find it in Scripture or do we find it in the Holy Spirit? Yes and yes, we find it in both. By the way, and it says we find hope in Christ. Do we find it in Christ? Yes. Do we find, we find it in all of that. It's amazing that all hope is found in the Trinity, in the Holy Spirit, in Christ, in God the Father, who gave us his very word to give us great hope. That gives us great joy in the fact that all the problems that we face and we're facing today, whether, you know, what do we do with all the things that are happening in our society, with COVID, with politics, with different cultural ideologies, all of the different things that we are facing and that is coming to bear upon the body of Christ, the church. How do we deal with that? One of the issues is, is that, the, that whether it's a political system or a cultural system or a quote-unquote scientific system, it's trying to define church. And in defining church, it's trying to, it's amazing how we are seeing all of these things putting believers against believers. And we're seeing things outside of God trying to tell us what is from God and is causing conflict in the family of God. And I'm saying that because my desire is, is that we grow as a family of God. How do we do that? In all the myriad of possibilities of things that we can do. We can do lots of different things. Um, and we can put our faith in a lot of different things. But none of it gives us hope. Christ gives us hope. God gives us hope. His word gives us hope. The Holy Spirit interprets the word and helps us to understand it and gives us hope. Yes, the world is not going to produce hope, right? A year ago, we were told, if you take this you know, shot, we'll have hope. And now they're telling us there's, there, there isn't hope. You have to keen. Now they're saying an average of every four or five months, you got to have a shot in order to have hope, right? In the beginning, by the way, they told us that, there, and I'm just using this as an example. I'm not using this to be cynical or to critique. I'm just saying the truth, the word was that if you do this, then you will be safe, that, you, that nothing will happen if you take this shot. Now, and then they changed it to say, well, it'll protect you. And now they're saying, well, now you got to keep doing it because there's, it, it's not going to protect you the way we said it was going to protect you. Because the, the studies are showing that it doesn't protect the way it said it was going to. Which is very interesting. What we find is, is that no matter what the world, and I'm not trying to tell you what to do or not to do. What I'm saying is, the world has been telling us what hope is, and we are seeing what hope is not. Hope is not found in man. Hope is not found in what I can do or what you can do. It's not found in how good we are or how good somebody else is, right? I'm sorry, if you're putting your faith and hope in 
Russell Wilson or DK Metcalf or, or Carson. I'm, I'm sorry. It's still the Seahawks I grew up on. It's a, it's a toss-up, 50-50. One might win, one might lose. I, I don't put my faith or hope in any one player. Here's what reality. By the time we get to Romans 15, we have a, we have a church that's been produced in Rome. Produced that, that, that Paul has been preaching, has been sharing the gospel. A church has been formed. And the church is mainly met or, or is uh, formed by Gentiles. Those are not people that are Jews. Basically, you're a Jew, and then everybody else in the world is a Gentile. You have two forms of people. And so the church is mainly formed of Gentiles. But what happened is as the church began to grow, Jews that, uh, that said, you know, we see that Jesus really is God. He is the Messiah. And they, they got saved. And they, as they came into the church in Rome, there began to be problems. There began to be problems. And it's like, yeah, yeah, well, we, there's these feasts that we all have to follow. Or there's, or there's only this kind of food that we can eat. Or there was all of these different things. But the Gentiles didn't have that understanding, all they knew was that Christ was the supplier of hope. Apart from Christ, there's no other way to be saved. And they were being discipled and grown and to love God and to love Christ. And now there's conflict that has come into the body of Christ. Because do you do this or do you do that? And that, that's where we find ourselves when it says in verse 1 of our text, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak. And we, a lot of times, we determine strength and weakness by what somebody can do, right? If you can do this, then you're strong. If you can do that, you know, if you can't, you know, do you know lift a, this you know stone then you're really not that strong you know and, and that's the reality and I have to come to grips with that that my body is not as strong as it used to be so I, I hire different guys to come over and do the heavy lifting and tell them don't lift it that way that's the way I used to lift it and now I don't lift anything <laughs> but the reality is that's what we think but that is not the point the point is talking about faith or trust or our relationship with the Lord. And we had Jews that were coming and said their relationship was only strong in the Lord if they followed these set of rules. And the Galatians are like, well, we don't have to follow those rules. We already trust in the Lord without all of those rules. Our relationship is strong without all of those rules. So then who's strong and who's weak? And there's this conflict when we think about strength and weakness, weakness in the faith could be simply because you're young in the faith and you don't know much about God. You don't, maybe you don't know much about his word. Weak in faith could also mean that you still hold to cultural values, that your faith and your trust in God is weak because culture still dictates what you believe about God. And that is true. And that, that runs rampant in 
churches, even to today. And that was part of the problem in the Roman church. Also, weak in faith could mean that you're holding to religious views and not necessarily to scriptural views. You could put more faith in the doing of religious things than you do in who God is and what his word says. So strength, strong in the faith, means really that we have laid our life down before God and we trust him not on how much we know about him or how much we can do for him and all these things. We just simply trust him because we know we need him and he is our only hope. And we're putting our hope in the power of the cross and what he's done for us. It's not in us. Strength doesn't necessarily mean you know it all either. Strength really in faith talks about how much you've really laid down before the Lord. I'll never forget different times in my life. I, I, you know, I said, I trusted the Lord. I love the Lord. I was excited about the Lord. And then I said, I'm not going to go to youth group because I, you know, it cuts into my sports time. And, I, and I'm not saying if you miss you know, youth group here and there, that's not the point. Otherwise, you just put it all into the doing. That's not the point either. I just said that I, I'm not, I stopped going to church at one point. I said, man, I, and what I was saying is, is that there was things outside of church that made me more happy and helped me feel better. And about two months later, I broke my leg in five places playing the sports that I idolize. Baseball. And you're like, how in the world do you break your leg in five places playing baseball? And no, nobody hit me with a bat. <laughs> right? No, nobody, you know, I slid into second base. I was stealing. And you say, pastor serves you, right? <laughs> Thou shall not steal. <laughs> and I did, seriously. I broke my leg in five places, stealing second base. I had never been caught stealing didn't get caught at that point either. I know, it sounds a little prideful. God humiliated me the very next. I, I decided I was voted into the All-Star game, even though I had a broken leg. Got my cast off and I played in said game without my mom's consent. They asked me, did your mom consent? I said, yes. And I just went out to my mom's horror when she saw me jog out onto the field. I took, I was afraid to hit the ball then I would have to run. And I wasn't quite sure how my leg would hold up because I just got my cast off after nine weeks. And uh, I, I said, so I just sat there and I took, all, I took all the balls. I walked to base. I got on base. I thought for sure my coach was going to give me a pitch runner. I thought that. So I'm on base and doing what I always do. I let off. Well, it's been a few months since I let off and a broken leg later. And as I was leading off, I sat there and I let off and I let off and I let off and the pitcher threw it back and I, I dove back like I always would. I pushed off my broken leg, which was been in a cast for nine weeks, which you can imagine is not strong. And I landed this far away from the base. <laughs> they, they, they all laughed at me. So, 
pride does come before fall. <laughs> so I was very prideful that I, I all these things. That, that's how I ended my baseball career, that, on that play. That was the last play I played <laughs> in baseball. <laughs> so here's the reality is, is that what do you put your hope in? The things of this world are not really our hope. Christian maturity is not going beyond the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did for us. It's really growing deeper into the gospel. You see, I put my faith and my well-being into how good I could be in sports when the reality is, is the only place that we have hope in is in Christ. Not that sports is wrong. It just is not benef- it wasn't beneficial for real hope in life. And that's really where we're at. And that's the, the, the key point, what we're seeing in these verses is this, is the strong believer is responsible to build up the weak believer so that all believers may end up glorifying God. It's not about who's stronger. It's not about who's weaker. And, and that's the point. Is it's like, well, who is more important in the Roman church, the Gentile or the Jew? Who is more important? Neither. God is more important. But yet, isn't it amazing as we look at the things going on around us, what's going on in our personal lives or in the lives of our community, our country, the world, and we say that this is good and this is bad, or we determine a lot of times what we think is right or wrong, but the reality is, is who what is, what is right? What is good? God alone is good. And we talked about that in the first three verses, we see this, these commands, we see these, these exhortations that we, we have this obligation to build up one another. We are obligated. That means we owe a debt to each other because of what Christ did for us to lift up one another. Not to criticize one another, not to complain about one another, not to determine who's good or or bad. God's word will do that, by the way. God judges all things and judges all things good. Or not. (laughs) He judges all things good by through his word, right? He does it well. Right? And sometimes we complain and we get frustrated and we try to determine what's good. God is good. We are supposed to to bear up, to build up. We're also not supposed to just please ourselves, but not but also to please our neighbor. So those were the things that we looked at last week. And, and this week we want to say why? Why is this vital in the church family? Why is this vital to the church family? So we want to look at the first one that's found in verse three. In verse three it says, For Christ did not what? Did he please himself? No. You see, the very first important, why this is so important is, is strong believers must minister to the weak because of Christ's example. Like, right, walk and follow, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. 
And in Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, we are supposed to mimic the Lord or walk in Christ. We're supposed to follow Christ's example. Do you notice that he says in verse 3, 4, Christ did not please himself. So he introduced the example to us of that what Christ did in following the exhortation. If Christ didn't please himself, then why are we focused on pleasing ourselves? Which happens to be one of the biggest motives of a lot of church. How can we please ourselves? One of the reasons, um, and if you're new to our church, this is not me talking to you about that. that. This is one of the prime examples of why we have consumerism in the church. Well, what does the church have to offer for me? The gospel, right? The good news. That we have hope in Christ. It's not about whether, you know, we have a Raul or we have a Rob or we, we have, you know, um, it's not about what kind of leadership we have. It's not a, what kind of programs we have. It's not what kind of musicians we have. It's not kind of youth programs we have. It's who we have in Christ. But consumerism says that it's all about to please myself. That's why I played sports for so many years, was to please myself. But Christ didn't do that. In fact, if you go down to verse 5, we see the other example of this, and as uh, we see a prayer here, but in the end of verse 5, he says, in accordance with Christ Jesus. He's saying, in accordance to the example that Christ gave us. The idea here is that we are supposed to follow Christ's example. We're not supposed to follow the example of just... Yes, when we disciple people in the church, when we're teaching people, we're following examples of people teaching, but we're only following the examples of people teaching as they are teaching Christ. Don't follow somebody because they're a good, just a good teacher, Yes, follow somebody if they're a good teacher because they teach Christ and God's word completely. Because the power is in God's word and in Christ. It is not in a person. That's what I love about the elders of our church and having them teach all summer. Is it's just so beautiful to see all the different talents that God gave on display to use to edify his word, to build up and, and to teach his word to, the, to our body here in Ferndale. It was, it was a beautiful. If ever there was a motivation or a reason to minister to one another and, our, and people, maybe somebody in the church is struggling over something cultural right now. Build him up. Come alongside. Don't just come up and say, what are you thinking? And Right? We have Bible thumpers all over the place, right? My, my kids know when I'm really upset because that's when I take the Bible and whack them with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's like, you know, usually that only tends to happen on Sunday, right? <laughs> or if they're sitting next to my lazy boy and I have my Bible reading right next to me, it's like, bam. It's like, knock it off. <laughs> no. We're not supposed to thump each other. We're supposed to lead, build each other, lead each other. 
The reason that we're going through these verses right now is not so that way down the road I can thump you with it, but down the road you can say, ah, I remember pastor talking about that we're going to be challenged as the body of Christ to remain a family in the midst of things that are coming. I want God's word to lead you. I want you to follow God's word. I don't want us to sit there and go around and thump one another with the actual physical Bible, but to train up and encourage each other. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, and he humbled himself to minister to others. Think about this. Christ could have demanded immediate conformity. He could have said, you will conform. Zap. There you are. Within his authority and his power, he is preeminent. He is over all things. He is in control of all things. He could have, but instead... He patiently ministered in a world that hated him and in a world that still hates him today. Maybe you have somebody in the body of Christ, maybe not this particular body, but maybe somebody that hates you. And you don't you can't and you struggle with that. Don't worry if if the world hated Christ, then why are we so worried about whether people like us or hate us? It was common to Christ, and he said, bear up one another even though you suffer, even though people hate you, even though people lie about you, right? They lied about God. They called Jesus a drunkard. They called him demon-possessed man. They called, you know, like they called him basically somebody who fellowshiped with prostitutes. I mean, they lied about him and said all sorts of crazy things about him. And if you look at verse 3, he quotes Psalm 69. He says, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul's point in quoting this is this, is that we should also have the willingness to please the Lord despite misunderstandings, despite ridicule, despite slander, persecution, even death, would you not follow his example? That's what Jesus did, even though he was ridiculed. In fact, 2 Corinthians 8 9 is so beautiful in the fact that we see this example on display in 2 Corinthians 8 9. And, and he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He humbled himself and became poor, living in this world, not even having a home to lay his head while he was here. And he did that so that way he could build us up. Who, I mean, think about it. He is the epitome of strength. As God. And we are the epitome of weakness as mere man. And yet, He loved us. Right? He loved us. Well, the question then now comes 
Where in the world are we in, are, where do we get the strength to follow God's example, Christ's example? How do we do that? Well, why are we supposed to build up one another? It's because that was the example given to us by Christ. But how can we follow his example? Well, he says in verse 4, says, for, whoever, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have something to hit somebody with. No, we might have hope, right? How do we do this? We do it through God's word. I mean, think about what Paul is saying, by the way, because the church not only had Gentiles, which the Gentiles weren't real big on what was in the Old Testament, but the church was also made up of Jews who knew the Old Testament. And he says, now, hey, hold on. By the way, if you're a Gentile, everything that was written beforehand was written so that you might know and be encouraged and persevere, just as the prophets and saints persevered. But also, if you're a Jew and you know all of these things, by the way, they were written so that also you know and can have hope. It was written for our good, for our instruction, for our help. So that way we can follow Christ's example. If you're not in God's word, it's hard to know how to follow him, right? It's not about legalism, thou shalt read, you know, every day this many chapters in order to be a strong believer, right? If that's your goal, is to read multiple chapters a day, I dare say... There's no relationship in that. How are you acknowledging the Lord or learning about your relationship with God? Maybe start with one, two, three, four verses with, with the goal to know more about God and your relationship and then let it in your... I know once I have, by the way, once I eat, um, you know, I buy those... Well, now I don't even buy them. They give them to us at the Franz Bakery outlet. But they give us those, you know, those donuts in the box, those old-fashioned glazed, right? You know, they say you eat, open up a Lay's potato chips, you know, can you only eat one potato chip? For me, it's can I only eat one donut? If you leave that box in front of me long enough, the whole thing will be gone and my kids will be mad. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Now, now they give me like, eight or nine boxes, and, I, and, my, and my wife is just shaking her head. She's like, she, 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 hoard, she gathers them as fast as I bring them in the house, and she throws them to the pigs at her house. Not the kids, the actual hogs at our house that we raise. <laughs> Let me clarify. <laughs> but here's the thing is, is the more you see God and your relationship with God, I dare you that you keep his word on the shelf. It becomes more and more exciting the more you see your relationship with God. And it doesn't start, by the way, with just reading the whole Bible in one sitting if you're a new believer. It comes by just one little bite out of a time, each little step, and God bless you. Not you bless God. God blesses you in knowing him. That brings us to the second point, and that is 
Strong believers must. Why is this so important that we build up one another? Strong believers must minister to the weak because of God's glory. Because of God's glory. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to glorify God. And we do that by helping one another. Romans, uh, in our text, in verses 5 through 6, it says, May the God of endurance, you notice that word is endurance and perseverance come from, or endurance and encouragement. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together, that together, strong and weak, together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice something in these verses as we're, the emphasis is on glorifying God, but did you notice that God is the provider of everything we need? He is the provider of everything we need. John 15, 4 through 5. If you've read John, um, John 15, you know that's the, the vine and the branches. It says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. If you cut off a branch and just stick it out in your yard, what does it do? Does it bear fruit? It, it withers. You know, we have a few of those branches from the windstorm, Right? Uh, we have a, another branch from another tree that I just planted and ran it over with the lawnmower. <laughs> so I <laughs> don't recommend that. <laughs> but it, here's the thing. If, if a branch is separated from the tree or the vine, it, the, the, the trunk, it withers and dies. And that's what he's getting at here. And he says, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God is the provider of everything that we need. You know, what's amazing is, is that the word in our text that he may grant you or give you. The word grant is literally give. The sole proprietor to give. May he grant you these things so that way we can worship him or glorify him with one voice. You know, it's interesting that term one voice in verse 5 um, or I'm sorry, in verse 6 says that together you may with one voice glorify the Father. It means with one passion. And that, that's the goal here, is as we build up one another, we are one voice worshiping God, glorifying Him with one passion, and that is to glorify God above all things. You see, Paul is getting to the church and he's saying, it's not about whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a Jew, or whether you eat or whether you don't eat, or whether you follow these festivals or you don't follow these festivals. It is that you have one passion, and that is to glorify God. One passion. That's what Paul's point was in Philippians chapter 3. 
He says, everything that I used to be, everything that I was in life is worthless. All my good deeds, he says, are worthless. My one passion, my one desire, the one thing I strive for more than anything is to know Christ and him crucified. He wanted to know Christ. He wanted, the whole point in Paul's life was to glorify God. In fact, did you notice the three things that are present or that are needed to glorify God? He gives it to us here in our text. And he repeats it multiple times. In verse 5, he says, The God of what we have is God of endurance, right? Or perseverance. It's the element of perseverance. Perseverance or endurance means to bear up under great personal pressure. We, in order to glorify God, we need to have endurance or perseverance. The idea of this word is literally heavy conflict pushing you down and you're able to endure it by God's grace. The second element here we see in, the, in verse 5 is, is the element of encouragement. We all need encouragement. We have, if we're going to glorify God, we have to persevere. And if we're going to glorify God, we, we need encouragement. And if all we do is focus on what, what we think is better, you know, good, better, and best, you know, we review everything. You know, those reviews, you go online and you say, this is a good option. This is a better option. This is your best option. And so you want, oh, like, oh, well, in that case, I want the best option, right? And then you find out you just, you know, then it also, it comes with a cost, <laughs> right? And you have these good, better, and best options. But here's the reality is, is that we need encouragement. We need God's encouragement. Encouragement literally means that the strength and comfort of being lifted up. We need the strength and encouragement. In, in the fact that two peoples coming together, we need to have encouragement in order to live that way in the body of Christ. Not us focusing on what we think is better, best, and best. Or, uh, I said that wrong. <laughs> By the way, any real encouragement? Because you can say, well, I tried to encourage you. And I've said that. I've, I've said that. I've been guilty of saying that. But any real encouragement ultimately comes from God. Right? I can't tell you how many times I've tried to encourage somebody and have to apologize for trying to encourage somebody. Because I encourage somebody based on how I thought I would like to be encouraged. But I did not encourage them. I'll never forget a, a man in our church one day thought he was encouraging our family and he brought over four chickens to our house. My wife just was like, what guy does that? It'd be like me coming over to your, your house and dropping off four of piglets and say, hey, I got this wonderful gift for you. And by the way, I have a plan for you. No, <laughs> no I got this wonderful gift for you. And here's four piglets, right? Now, if, if it was four, or slabs of bacon, that might be real encouragement, right? Like, pastor, you know, make the bacon and then bring it over. Don't give me a piglet. I don't want the seed. I want the real deal, <laughs> right? 
Everybody has different ways of being encouraged. But real encouragement, being lifted up, comes from God. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1, because in the Corinthian church, they were doing everything that they thought was right, but, and they were hurting one another. But yet, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says, in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Is he the God of just... By the way, the word comfort here is exactly the same word in our text for encouragement. It's, it's, it's given both the term comfort and the term encouragement in the Greek. So who's... who's who? Is the God of all comfort? Is it good ideas? Is it us? Or is it God? It says here, He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. God is, He's the one that controls all comfort and He's the one that can comfort us in all our afflictions, not just some or part. The world can only draw comfort in partial ways, but God is the comfort of all things. And that brings us to the third element that we need, and that is unity that's based on the gospel. Not just any unity. He says in here in our text, he talks about that, and uh, that you may live in such harmony. So if, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. The idea of harmony here is not based on knowledge, it's based on truth, right? You've heard it said, you know, how do you, you know, you can, uh, a million pa- pianos in tune to one tuner can create harmony. But if every piano tried to tune itself to a tuner, it creates discord or disharmony. Gospel unity is not unity of knowledge. It's tuning our life to one, to the glory of God. We lived in Eureka, California, in Hobo County, and of course, you know, everybody asked me, I was like, now where is that? Because, you know, you hear Yreka and you hear Eureka. Which one, where is, it? where is each of those? I said the one behind the Redwoods. If you find the Redwoods, you'll find Eureka. That's where we used to live. And I'll never forget driving down the road and the first Redwoods that I saw, and so I was driving a 24-foot uh, moving van, and Anissa was driving our little uh, Ford Escort, and she rounded the bend, and there was this gigantic redwood in the middle of the road, because you had to go around it, and uh, the road did not go through it. It went around it. it looked, I mean, it was like I felt like I was back in prehistoric times. Our car looked like a little matchbox car. I could not believe it on how big these, over 300 feet tall. I was just in shock, you know, just, you, you know, 
20 people couldn't even hold their hands around this tree. It was just huge. But the reality is, is more redwoods die, not because of fire, but because of windstorms, and, and because people cut a lot of the redwoods down, and it and there's the single tree that's by itself. And many of you don't know, but in order for a redwood tree to grow that big, it sacrifices its roots. Instead of drilling down deep into the ground to anchor itself, it goes broad. And it intertwines in all the other roots so that it can survive the storms. So they figured it out when they first started uh, logging redwoods that they needed to leave groups of redwoods. Otherwise, they were just they kept falling over. They didn't even have to have a windstorm. Sometimes the sheer weight of it would just uproot itself. The funny thing that they found is if they once they cut it back off, the root wad would then you know fall back into the ground and it'd grow another redwood again. They're like weeds; they just keep growing. The thing is, is that's a good, good illustration of sometimes the difference between gospel unity and just gospel knowledge. We spread ourselves out with knowledge, but we don't dive deep into the gospel and let the gospel control us. The more that we focus on glorifying God, the more harmony there really is. By the way, I just want you to notice something. All of this is from God, verses 5 and 6. It's not something that you can produce. Wait a minute. It says that we need these things. Yes! And we need to be obedient in glorifying God. But guess what? You cannot produce it. It only comes from God. God is the source of all perseverance and encouragement, unity, and guess what? Also, the instrument by which God releases said perseverance, encouragement, and unity is his scripture. If you want to have perseverance, encouragement, and unity, you cannot manufacture it. It is a gift from God. That's so cool, though, because all that God requires, God will provide. He doesn't require you something, and then you fail and say, I just can't do it. He goes, yes, you can't do it, and I'm, it is a, you need these things in order for the church to have harmony. You, we need, right, we need endurance, to outlast all the problems. We need encouragement. We need to be encouraging one another. We can't do it, though, without God. You can't do it without the Scripture. You say, man, I, I don't feel encouraged. How are you? Are you in the Word learning about the Lord? You're like, man, I just, I can't persevere. I'm struggling this so hard to do this for the Lord, I just struggle. It comes from reading his word and realizing all that God has done for you. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things 
through Christ who has provided me strength is literally what it says. It's not that we can just name it and claim it. It's that our power in our life comes through Christ, not through other things. Romans. So in conclusion, verse 7, how are we going to maintain the family that God has created us to be in the church, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of conflicts, in the midst of do's and don'ts that the world throws at us? How are we going to be family? Look at verse 7. Therefore, hit each other over the head. (laughs) No, it says, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. Again, it gives us our two explanations of why it's important. In humility and unity, as we welcome one another, always looking for common agreement, not disagreement. Are we looking for ways to agree with each other in the Lord? Are we looking for ways to disagree with each other? If there's disagreement, are we looking for God to get the glory or are we looking for ourselves to get the glory? I don't have time to go into it, but I have three pages to emphasize this. My favorite is in... Galatians, or in, in, well, not just Galatians, let me see. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, Colossians 3.13, bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord forgave you, so also you must forgive. There's another one I love. It says, love one another and don't complain about one another. (laughs) I literally have four pages of one another's. Now, you might get the point. There's over a hundred one another's in the Bible that we're commanded to fulfill. And the only way we can do that is if with one voice, one passion, we say, Let's glorify God together. Let me tell you, we should have such loyalty to one another. Rather than being a divider, we need to be a unifier. We need to go to the second mile with one another, being committed to the church family, not merely giving lip service. But going the second mile to be committed to one another, to bear up one another, that we might glorify God. That's the real hard thing, is to realize it's something that God can do through us when we glorify Him, but we cannot do on our own. We need the Lord to do it. So as we see the day approaching, as we see things getting close to Christ's return, uh, not because of a virus and not because of a, a needle or not because of politics, but because everything is falling apart and the world is coming together, we know Christ will return. 
as we see that, may we be strong as God's family, glorifying God and not ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these timely truths that speak to your glory, that speak to your encouragement, that speak to your provision, that all that you have given us or commanded us to do, you have provided the way to do it. You are the provision. May we not think that much of ourselves, that we can make things happen. But Lord, that you are the provider. You did that in the greatest need that we ever had, and that was our sin. We can't do it through our good deeds. You said all our good deeds are as filthy rags in your sight because you are holy. We, you can't have just something that looks good. It has to be completely good, entirely good, and we can't produce that. So you produced it for us by sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, to be the payment to be our stand-in who took upon the sin of the world, all of our sin, my sin, all of our sin. And in doing that, he took all of your wrath, the punishment for sin, the wages of sin is death. But praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this. That, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's through your, your work because our work is inefficient. We were dead in our sins, but yet you made us alive by the work of Christ who died on the cross for us and rose again and conquered death. And so, Lord, I pray that that is where our trust would lie in all things pertaining to life and godliness. As we see struggles coming, as the world tries to to pit church members against church members or believers against believers that we would not take the bait, but that we wouldn't worry about which is better, this truth or that truth or this good thing or this good thing, but yet we would proclaim with one passion that you are worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. May we glorify you to the end and remain faithful because of your work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.